you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. Now, let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Show me a person who has a sustainable, thriving creative practice over the long haul, and I will show you a person who has a deep relationship to their personal work, to the stuff that they're doing, making, creating without any person handing it to them on a plate as an opportunity. That is just uh, the rule. There are exceptions but I really think that is the rule. And, you know, I find myself at times feeling untethered, feeling going long seasons where I am no longer investing in that relationship with my personal work. And in times like those, I need a project. The power of a personal project is so essential to keeping that ongoing relationship uh, at its best, at what it's, uh, and keeping yourself invested on a regular, consistent basis to make it what it can be. And often, making your personal practice a project, all it requires is giving it a name. 
defining it. This is what I'm doing in my personal creative time, right? You know, most of us had a moment where a pet, a cat, a dog, quote unquote, followed us home, AKA we picked it up and we brought it home and we walked through the door and we said, this thing followed me home, mom. And your mom says, don't you name it. Don't you dare name that animal. Why? Because where there's no name, we, that we won't invest. And if we don't invest, we don't have a relationship. Naming a thing is an investment. It is the down payment on an investment. It is the start of a relationship. And when you don't name and define your personal practice, don't give it the parameters of a project, you will not invest. And if you don't invest, you will have no real true relationship with that thing. And so if you're feeling untethered, we're going to go through all the different types of personal projects you can do because at different seasons, different stages, you need different types of projects. But it doesn't mean that one is a project and one isn't a project. So it's time that you sit your personal project, your personal work down and say, it's time to have the talk. What is this? Where is it going? I need to know before I invest, is this a thing or not? Because if we don't know, if we don't know if it's a thing, we don't know that it exists. We can't have a relationship with it. And so you got to say, is that, are we dating? Is this real? Is this a thing? Is it official? Let's call it what it is. Let's give it a name. Let's define it. Let's make it a project. Let's talk about when you need different types of projects. We're going to go through six types of projects that a creative can have for personal work and when you need each of those. So let's help you diagnose what kind of personal project you need right now. Let's go. The first type of project that you need at the start of your career and at the end of a uh, part of your career is an exploratory project, okay? what When you need this is either at the start when you have no freaking clue at all what you want to do. You know, maybe you probably know some of the things you like, but you don't really know what your practice is going to be all about. What you, It's when you have a million different options of what it could be. When you have no clear sense of what you could possibly do that you would like. That's usually an exploratory project is really, really important. This is what they should be teaching you in college. You need a few years to mess around. And it's also, it's not just then, it's also at the end of a segment of your creative practice. It's when you've lost the spark. You need to go back into the wilderness. You need to go back and find that inspiration, that spark, that newness, that freshness. And so if you're in a place where you're like, I have no freaking clue, man, what's going on? I don't know who I am. I don't know my, what my work is about. I know some things I like, uh, you know, or, or you're in a place where 
look, I just, I lost the love and feeling for my creative practice and just nothing is doing the trick. That is the time for an exploratory project. For me, I avoided this exploration for a long time. And I think part of the reason I did was before you call it an exploratory project, it just feels like fumbling in the dark. You know, it wasn't until I was out of school that I decided I need to give myself some parameters to explore systematically on purpose day in and day out. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know that was my daily drawing project called Nod. That was a Nod was a make-believe world that I was populating day after day, a new character every weekday for a year. I'd give him a name and I'd give him a little description. And what I was doing was I was exploring things I liked, inspirations, things like Dr. Seuss and Fraggle Rock and Hayao Miyazaki and Moomin and all these things where I, I had these heroes that built worlds, make-believe worlds and populated them with tons and tons of characters. I knew I liked that kind of stuff, but I had no idea what did mine feel like. And actually Nod didn't really go anywhere. It didn't really, it, it actually was just an exploration and that exploration became Invisible Things. If you don't know what Invisible Things is, you can go follow it on Instagram uh, at I see Invisible Things and you can see my poster it's where I personified a bunch of invisible forces and it's just this idea that, you know, Natural, National Geographic said that only 5% of the world is visible. And we spend like 95% of our focus on things we can see. It's not our problem. Our brain, so much of our brain is uh, trying to pull off the magic of seeing. But you can see with your other senses. You're, there's so much. For, for life to be worth living, I really believe that you have to see the invisible. And you can see the invisible with your other senses. You can see the invisible with science. You can see the invisible with your heart. Okay, that's what Invisible Things is about. If you want to know more, go check it out. That Invisible Things, that's a thing that I made that went viral. It's a thing that opened some really cool doors that I'm not allowed to talk about right now. But it is so important to me. And it never would have happened had I not made 260 characters of exploring what the heck is this thing? I knew it was something about hiddenness, but I didn't know it was Invisible Things until I'd done the exploratory project. So... If you're in a time where you're like, what, huh, wow, I don't know, don't just fumble in the dark aimlessly. Give it a name, give it a description, give it some parameters so that you can show up, so that you can invest, so that you can have a relationship to this thing called exploration. It can be random, it can be accidental, it can be unforced, but put it in some parameters so that you can actually do it on purpose. That's when you need an exploratory personal project. And I'll just say, depending on how confused you are, probably determines the, the length of that kind of project, the, the scope of it. For me, I was uh, in, a, in a dire situation. My illustration career had rose really fast and died just as quickly, and I just was completely lost, and I didn't really know what any of this stuff meant, and I needed a deep dive, and I had this feeling that quantity will breed quality. That if I make enough stuff, I will make enough accidents. If I make enough characters, 
there will be some good ones and I will find some stuff out. I the bigger the question, the, the, the bigger the scope of the project. And I think exploratory projects, especially at the start, I think you need, that's where those hundred day projects really pay off is when you're just really confused and you need to bite off a ton of work to just really sink your teeth into it. Okay, number two, the second type of personal project is writing on stage. You've heard me say this a few times. It's what the marketers call looking for product market fit, but it's what normal people call or what, what I, I call writing on stage. Okay, it's what comics do. They've done the exploration alone in their hotel rooms all over the country, thinking, writing, taking notes, messing around, making stuff, right? They've got a few ideas, but they just don't know which one is the right way to go. Do a writing on stage project when you're at a fork in the road with three to five options. You've got some good stuff, but you just don't know which of these are really it, which of these are really going to resonate. If you're in that spot where you're like, I could see a few different markets being the choice. I could see a few different books being the choice of to, to which book to write. Do some writing on stage. It's never been easier to do that. You have a bunch of social platforms where you can try a bunch of different stuff. Okay, when I, after I finished the Nod project and I had all these characters, I had this style, I had to decide which market am I going to choose? And so instead of doing another giant project, I did three small projects and I tested the waters. Still they had names, still they had parameters, uh, it, 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 they were still projects that I could have an actual relationship with that I could invest really intentionally with. And I did three different things. I did a project called a novel view, a project called art directions, and a project that was a kid's book zine called something to believe in. Okay. The first one, you've heard me talk about these on the show, so I'll do it really brief. A novel view is where I was doing new, I was doing screen prints that were, new book covers for books from the public domain to, to write on stage and see if I wanted to be a book cover illustrator. Then I had a project called Art Directions. Art Directions was a blog where I was seeing, should I be an editorial illustrator by writing my own articles? The only thing I knew about was trying to build a creative career. So I, I was writing about creative career stuff that I was learning and I was illustrating those articles. And that blog was called Art Directions. Uh, that blog became this podcast, Creative Pep Talk, but we'll get for, get to that in a minute. And then I did another one where I did a, uh, I wanted to test out kids' books, and instead of making a million pitches, instead of doing pitches as a project, which we'll get to that later, where where those come along, instead I did an, a writing on stage project where I did a zine. It ended up becoming a a published book called Something to Believe in by a tiny little publisher. It was their first book. Um, out of Switzerland. I think it's called Hafen Piraten, uh, actually. Um, and it was, it was a great experience, but that started as a zine. And so here's three different projects I did. Uh, the novel view, I made, I think five book covers, art directions. I probably wrote 20 articles, the kids book zine. I only made one thing, but the, the, it was so powerful to put it out there into the real world because it wasn't until I did that. I realized I don't read that much fiction. And I read really slow and I would be a terrible book cover illustrator. If you want me to illustrate your book cover publishers, I'm still I'm open to try. It sounds fun, but I don't think it's my bread and butter. Okay. And I only know that 
from doing it in real time, from t- writing on stage and people saying, how was the book? And I was like, I didn't read it. And they're like, huh, that's weird. This doesn't seem like a good fit for you. <laughs> and I didn't see that till I got out on stage. Got to be willing to be humiliated. That's what the stand-up comics do. The second one was art directions. I had a few, I had an article that I wrote go way more viral than any of the other uh, Nod characters did on that same blog. And I thought, huh, there's something there. And I ended up taking that for further with Creative Pep Talk. And in fact, Creative Pep Talk, I think it's a damn good name, okay? I think it's a good, it's a good container. It's a good cup for that coffee, baby, okay? But you know where that came from? It came from the Art Directions Project. About halfway through doing those articles, I decided to do some interview articles with artists that I was friends with or big fans of. And I made a separate section and I was on my Tumblr writing, what's this section going to be called? What's it going to be called? And I just thought creative pep talks. And I was like, ooh, damn, I should have named the blog that. (laughs) that's where that came from. It came from writing on stage, doing it in real time, working it out in the work. Okay. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you will, when you show up and you have a relationship to the process. We talked about this on an earlier episode. I did a TikTok about it. I, I love this idea. You know, the guy who is ready to propose, he's ready to get married. The only thing he hasn't thought about is he, he, he doesn't have a relationship with anybody. I say, you know, all these times that, uh, that I wanted to, I created these book proposals with no relationship to writing in order to have a proposal, you've got to have a relationship and having a project makes that possible to have that relationship to invest because it's a thing. The kids books obviously became for more kids books, but these were all, um, writing on stage projects. And I think when you're writing on stage, you should be trying to get as many reps as possible, as many at bats as possible so that you can try out a bunch of stuff, make these short in nature, short scope. They're just dipping your toes in a few different things. If you're in a place where you have three to five options and you just don't know which to pick, quit wasting all your time trying to work that out in your head and put it on paper, put it on the stage and try it in real time. Try all the options, but just dip your toes in them individually, quickly, gather some results, and then you'll be ready for the next thing. Okay, number three, the third type of personal project that you may need for your creative career is brand awareness, a brand awareness campaign. When do you need this? When you know this is my thing, but other people don't. You've narrowed it down. You know which of the three to five options you should choose because you've wrote on stage. But guess what? People don't know. Just because you did that little blip of a project and you knew this is your jam didn't mean other people did. So for me, when Art Directions was really working... That meant taking it to the next level with a podcast, a bigger scope. I was going to do 100 episodes before I quit because I knew I had something, but not everybody knew what I had. And so I need to do a brand awareness campaign. When you need to tell people, this is who I am, and you need to smash it over their heads, that is when you need to do a personal project that is a brand awareness campaign. 
It, it's when you need to say, I have authority in this area. I'm good at this thing and I need to build trust. That's what you need to do at this stage. If you need people, if you need to show people, I know I'm good at this. You can trust me and I will show up over and over and over and prove to you that I have authority in this area, that I have something, that, that this is a word, a topic, a thing, a practice, a skill, a talent that you can associate with me. One of those for me was dreams. Like I have been obsessed with dreams since I was a little kid. I love it. It's probably like, you know, I was a kid that was basically like, these are, you know, I don't know, maybe ADHD brains have especially weird dreams, but I was like a kid on psychedelics, man, every night, just being like, trippy, man, can you believe? It's such a, you know, and I also get so bored with the mundane of the of reality. I just loved it, man. I just freaking loved it. And I've always loved dreams. And in high school, I was obsessed with researching how to lucid dream. And I was just freaking all in on dreams. And we were doing this, to, I was researching like, I worked at the car wash for a moment. <laughs> it was a great job. Love that job. Uh, shout out to car washes. I, I guess I'm doing here. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I had to do a little segment about my love for working at the car wash. Working at the car wash. I'm working at the car wash. I love that. That's how that song goes, right? Um, I know you were all thinking it and then I had to break the melody just to mess with you. Anyway. <laughs> I was working at the car wash and, you know, early in the morning on Saturday morning, we'd have to be there super early and no one was there. And so what we would do is we learned that you could have crazy dreams and lucid dreams. If you woke up in the middle of your REM sleep, which is usually in the morning, and then 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, go back to sleep. So we would wake up, get our butts clocked in at the car wash and then fall asleep on the job. And I would have the trippiest dreams and I'd be drawing um, things from the dreams and all this stuff. So dreams, they were my thing. I knew they were my thing, but not everybody else knew that they were my thing. So I needed to do a brand awareness campaign. So that started with, yes, illustrating some dream stuff, but eventually it turned into making and publishing a dream journal. Now, guess what? That dream journal, it picked up over time a little bit, but it didn't sell like crazy. It was a bit niche and I approached it through my artistic style, but I'm proud of it. You know, I, we earned my royalties back and a little then some, it's still chugging along. I'm still proud of it. It's a little bit of a weird project, but I'm, I, I loved it. I cherished it. But that dream journal then turns into uh, getting an editorial job about dreams because they know dreams are my thing. And I do that editorial job. I'm in Wales and England on vacation, had to do a last minute thing. For some reason, my best stuff always happens when we're in England visiting my in-laws. Um, I make this piece and I'm like, man, this piece, I love this piece. It's one of my favorite pieces that I've ever made. I think that's Welsh accent. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't know what a Welsh accent sounds like. Anyway, I made this piece of work. I was so proud of it. It was for mental floss. It was about dreams. It was trippy. It was cool. I was into it. And then nothing happened for like, five years. And then that's when that piece is why I got the job, the dream machine job, because my editor, my kid's book editor loved that piece, knew I love dreams. This book came into her inbox from magician J Joshua J. And the book is awesome, by the way, if you haven't seen it, dream machine, it came out earlier this year. It's a board book. It's got a, it's a, but it's, I'm so proud. It's pretty. It's pretty. It, we were thinking it would feel like, um, 
if if Mary Blair may illustrated Howl's Moving Castle, that's how I was thinking of it. Um, so very my jam. Uh, and and it has it's basically like a machine that you can set these toggles and stuff. It's just short. It's for little little ones, and you can say how loud your snore is going to be that night, who's going to be in your dreams, what kind of dreams. Set all these little uh, settings before you go to sleep. So proud of it. Never would have happened if I didn't do a personal project about brand awareness because I knew dreams were my thing, but others didn't until I did a campaign. And I'm very influential in the world of pizza because you can trust it because I'm so obsessed I named myself after it. What are the nouns that you want to associate? That's your brand. Do a campaign. Show them. And it can be a noun, but it can also, also be a type, a skill of like, this is my thing. This is what I can do. I can show up podcast after podcast and give you the sweet creative career goods. So you can book me at your conference because I do talks every week, man. I never run out of this stuff. I never shut up. That's my, put that on my gravestone because you can trust it. It's, <laughs> you're aware of my brand. Okay, <laughs> next one. Okay, number four, baby, strategic side quest, as we call it here on this podcast. Uh, the strategic side quest, we haven't gone to this direction in a while. When you need a strategic side project, aka a strategic side quest, when you're trying to get in a castle, you know, uh, and gatekeepers are stopping you, you know, the record label won't sign you. The, the, uh, the book agent won't sign you when you can't get the job. They, they won't hire you for the editorial piece. They won't give you a book deal. When there's people in the way of what you need to be doing in this world, when they won't let you in that castle, you got to go find another castle, another quest to help bolster your strength, to help you get some sweet new weapons to break down that. You need a battering ram, okay? Where do you get the battering ram? On other side quests. So push pause on trying to get in that gate and make a project that proves that is custom tailored to that particular gate. A, a custom battering ram, if you will, that's just designed perfectly for the type of gate that you're trying to break down. How do you do it? How do you do it? You have to come up with a strategic side quest. Here's the elements of a strategic side quest. These four things, you'll find the four layers of a of project strategy. You can find it in my creative career path handbook. I think we have run out of physical copy copies. We might get a reprint, but you can get the ebook on creativepeptalk.etsy.com. And here's the four layers. Okay. It has to mirror. It has to be reverse engineered to be the perfect battering ram. Basically what you're doing here is you're saying, what's the, what's my dream brief? What's the dream opportunity? How can I make that without anybody's permission? You say, I know what I've got, man. I want to be cast as the, the person that you don't want to judge a book by its cover. Okay. That's Matt Damon. That's what he did. He knew what he had. He wrote the perfect movie 
to shine who he was, a strategic side quest. He wrote Goodwill Hunting that says, I look like a janitor. I look like a townie from Boston, but I'm actually a genius. And when he did that, guess what happened? He got cast as, I look like a normal guy, but I can break your neck because I'm Jason Bourne. I look like a normal guy, but I might kill you because I'm the talented Mr. Ripley. I look like a normal guy, but I'm actually the informant. I look like a normal guy. He looks like a normal guy, but he's not. He's Matt Damon. (laughs) And he created a personal project that bashed you over the head, that showed those gatekeepers. This is exactly the droids you're looking for. He was never in Star Wars. So that's the first thing you got to do. You want to do book covers? Make a book cover project and make it exactly the industry market and niche that you want to get hired in. And then show them your perfect form by mirroring it. You want to get hired to design the catalogs for your favorite shoe brand? Then you need to make a project like Matt Stevens, where he did, he reinvented all these different versions of the Nike Air Max shoe. Guess what? I'm guessing he got a job with Nike. I'm, per, I'm mostly certain. I came up with that off the top of my head, so I paused the recording and I came back. Yes, he worked with Nike. Why? Because he mirrored exactly what he wanted to get hired for, okay? Figure out what that dream brief you want to land in your inbox. And it might be, it, you know what? It could literally be if you're a musician and you're not even getting client work, maybe you want to get one of your songs used by a particular director. And just imagine you got the job that your favorite movie, you're like, I wish I was the opening song of Eternal Sunshine, like Beck. Well, just write a song that you think would fit perfectly into that. Not only is it great for proving your worth, but it's also just a really juicy creative prompt to make something cool that's your taste, okay? Mirror it, exactly. The second thing is it's gotta be generous. You know, I've told you before, one time I walked out of Home Depot, they were giving free hot dogs. And you know what I did? I called my brother. I was like, yo, get down here. The hot dogs are popping and they're free. Uh, because when, when something of value is free, it doesn't even have to be that much value. You know how cheap hot dogs are, but some value is free. People tell people, man, but it's got to be real value. It's got to be something they can sink their teeth into. It's got to be something that they, that, you know, really fits between two buns. You can get, maybe try giving away hot dogs. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's got to be generous. Okay. How can you make them feel something? How can you make them learn something? How can you make them bond with others? How can you make them give them something to collect? How can you give them something that protects something they believe in? Give them some real value. If you do give them any real value, they will tell other people about it because they like free stuff, man. And it'll help catch on. Make sure it's connected. Third thing you got to do for the strategic side project, make sure it's connected by connecting with your peers. They don't even have to be people that are miles ahead of you. They can even be your protégés, but make sure that you bake into the project some ways of getting other people involved. You know, if I was Matt Stevens, I could have some friends of mine in the creative community make a version of the Nike shoe. If I'm Matt Damon, I'm going to get Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck and, and every other person I know. 
to bake in the connection and then you've got to do location, location, location. You've got to make sure that you're pouring that energy into a place where the attention's cheap. You don't want to go, if you're a coffee shop, you don't want to go where there's 15 coffee shops. You want to go where there's one coffee shop and it's terrible or no coffee shops and everything's just popping off there and you take a little risk. That's what, that's like TikTok right now. Okay. TikTok on Instagram. If I make a video, I'm lucky if I get 20% of my audience to view it. On TikTok, I have several videos that have 10 times the views that I have a following there. Location, location, location. You got to pick a location where that thing can actually get some traction, okay? Where people are actually paying extra attention and are, are wanting to see more than what's available, okay? That's what you need to do if you're in a spot where there's, you're right on the edge of a breakthrough and there's someone in between you and that and they have to pick you, you need to build a case. You need to build a battering ram that is perfectly poised to crush that gate. Number five, the fifth type of personal project that you need depending on the season. When do you need this one? Well, I should tell you what it is first. It's promotion, a promotion personal project. When do you need a promotion project? It's when you have something big that deserves a whole season of promotion. Right now, we've been in a season, a whole month we spent pushing my new book, A Pizza With Everything on it. I'm so proud of it. I'm so thankful for all of you showing up. We made a splash and I was so touched by um, seeing all of your kids play with this book and see and, and get inspired by it and have fun with it and laugh with it. It is one of the greatest creative pleasures of my life. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't natural. Even though I do love that book, I'm thinking about the new stuff, man, because I'm a creative. I'm always thinking about the next thing. I was talking to Ryan, uh, my agent, about this, and he said, you know, a lot of creatives, they want to just kick their babies out of the nest and just be like, fly or die, baby. But that is, <laughs> if you care about something, if you ever cared about it, that past you that was so excited about that project deserves for you to take it to the finish line. We had a whole uh, series about this, the Creative Elixir series. I'll put a link to that series in the show notes. That series was about how the hero's journey is about going and get the, uh, getting the elixir, going far from home, the, the glorious adventure. It gets all of the attention. But that's not the end of the hero's journey. They got to take that elixir back home to the people that need it. It's just as important. And it takes just as much attention and strategy because even though you they you think they're going to want this elixir there's a lot of anti-elixir people out there man and you got to figure out strategically how are we going to get them to take the elixir it's a lot of effort to make it all the way back home safe and sound with an airtight argument of how to get these people to buy into this thing that you have it was so much effort making this book this pizza book but it's just as much effort and, I, and it deserves just as much effort to do it justice, to promote it and get it out there. And so I know you want to go back to exploration, to writing on stage, to making a campaign, for getting strategic about your new thing. But 
you got to make sure you do justice to the old thing. And so if you're in a space where you're launching a big thing, you're putting something out there, you're in the phase that you need to do a promotional, personal project. You need to put just as much creativity as you did making it, as you did bringing it home. And so a lot of creators struggle with this. I struggle with it, but I've gotten better at it over the years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to a promotional uh, personal project. Think about what are ways that I can make promoting a creative endeavor. How can I make this creatively satisfying? That's what we've been doing. We've been thinking about how can we turn this into an episode of the podcast? How can we turn this into an event that has its own creativity and its own right and get excited about that? Once you do, you will see that there's so much creativity to be had, not just in making the thing, but in promoting it. Okay, the last and final personal project, the pitch. Creating a pitch. It's a project in its own right. When should you do a pitch? When and only when. You know what you have. They know what you have. You've built up the proof in the strategic projects and the social proof and the, and the metrics online and, and you've promoted them to the best of your ability and you've done everything you possibly can to get it as far as you possibly can and you just cannot get any further when you're in a place where you have to smash through a ceiling and you've tried every other way to get around it. Then and only then, is it time to create a pitch to send to those gatekeepers? A pitch is so much less about, we think it's about showing off the potential of what you could do if only they said yes. And it's really about how much proof you have that you have already got what it takes. And I'll just give you, I don't have, uh, pitches are hard. And I think most of the time they're a waste of time. I don't have a ton of experience doing it, but I have had a few successes in pitching. And I'll tell you one thing that I believe is the most important thing to go into it with. I, I, I think you need to be open, but that's not it. I'll get to it in a second. Because I think they want to see it as a collaboration. They want to see that you're, you're teachable, that you're open, that you're coming, that they need, that you need them as much as they need you. And so I don't think you have to come in the door with, this is the thing, like George Costanza on Seinfeld, or like, it's a show about nothing or it's nothing at all. Like it's this or nothing. Do not go in with that energy. But the thing that I think you need to go in with more than anything at all is what you hear time and time again from the biggest high stake pitches is startups pitching to venture capital. You know, people pitching to Shark Tank. Yes, you need a good idea. That's 100% true. You, you need to have something to, that's worthy of bringing to the sharks. But ultimately, you are going to hear venture capitalists say the same thing over and over and over again is that, yes, they bet on the idea. But the only time they're really going to open their wallet, they're really going to bet on you, they're really they're going to open this gate is if more than anything, they believe in you. 
And that is when I've had success, is when I've gone in there open with an idea or a few ideas, but ultimately I want to show them that I have what it takes to pivot towards something that will work, that I will come at it. When you come to that pitch, having explored, having wrote on stage, built, building awareness, having strategy, promoting what you do, you will make an incredible case that they can trust you that you will do whatever it takes to make sure that it works. And that's why it's time to make the pitch because ultimately they're not betting on your idea or the stuff in that pitch deck. They are betting on you. And there's no better case to be made than the case that you've made over the years, proving yourself time and time again, showing up on a consistent basis with these projects. And so if you're having an ambiguous relationship, an amorphous, uh, let's not label this thing relationship to your creative career. It's time to have the talk, name it, define it, see where it's going, feel where you are right now and pick the right project to get you to where you want to be next. Uh, I'm obsessed with this episode. When I got the idea for this episode, I was like, yes, this is an episode that I have, uh, I should have made a long time ago, but I didn't know this stuff. I didn't see it this way. I uh, hope you're as excited about this episode as I am. Uh, so yeah, I hope you loved it. And um, yeah, did you know that, uh, th oh, that was it. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for checking it out. Share it with your friends. If you feel like your friends need some creative pep, I hope this does the trick. Go share it with the peep, all the all of the people in your life. Your grandma might like creative pep talk. I think I'm popular with grandmas. Anyway, before I say something weird. Um, did you know that Creative Pep Talk is part of the Coloop Podcast Network? Coloop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You'll receive an email each week when a new episode comes out. Plus, you'll get instant access to our whole back catalog, episodes one through 199. I get questions all the time. Where are those episodes? That's where they are. Go sign up to the newsletter. Thanks to Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Thanks to... Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Connor Jones for editing this show so beautifully. You're just crushing it, bud. And uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. And until we speak again, you know what you gotta do? Make a Pop-Tart. Oh, tricked you. You thought I was gonna say something else. I was. I was, I'm gonna say the same thing I always say, which is fill up the crock pot. Oh, got you again. Are you still hanging around this far? There's no more content after this. Why do you need to, who? There's only 15 people still listening to this and you're the only ones that are gonna hear this secret. The secret to a thriving creative practice is staying pepped up. Mm -hmm.